Hello, I'm Di Redmond, and I'm your host for this season's Songs in the Wilderness. In this programme, we listen to the songs that have influenced our guests through their life and have influenced their faith too. Today, I have the privilege of speaking to Tim Hutchinson, who's joined the Radio Maria editorial team. He's only been here a week, but we're dying to hear all about you. Nice to have you on the programme, Tim. Lovely to be with you, Di. So, Tim, you grew up in Africa. Where exactly did, did you grow up? So, yes, I am from South Africa and um, was born in Johannesburg. But when I was about nine years old, my parents moved to the Eastern Cape, um, where they currently live now, in a little surfing town called Jeffreys Bay. And that sounds perfectly idyllic. I mean, it, what, what was life like? Um, you hear so much about South Africa, mostly conflicting stories. But what was your childhood like? Well, living in a place like um, uh, living in the Eastern Cape, not in Jeffreys Bay initially, but in and around that area, it was just natural for you to surf from a very young age. Um, a lot of time outdoors. I did a combination of homeschooling and uh, normal schooling. So I had a lot of time for things like music and um, just being outdoors. And it's a very beautiful country. There's also a lot of uh, difficult things that are going on, but um, it's also a country with a lot of warmth and a lot of wonderful people. And, and you grew up in a Christian family with musical brothers and sisters. Tell us something about that. I mean, did you all sing together, learn together, play together? It sounds like, sounds like I don't know, sound of music or something. <laughs> we actually had a rule that you're not allowed to sing at the table. So that could give you an idea of, of how much we love music. Um, yes, I mean, one of my f very earliest memories is my dad playing guitar in church bands and being... Um, sort of about uh, old enough to for my head to come up to his knee and uh, sort of holding onto the leg of his trouser while he was busy um, playing and singing in church. And um, so naturally I was, I aspired to play the guitar the way that he did and to, and to sing. And I grew up sort of um, playing with him in, in Bible studies and things like that, which would happen in our home. And um, so the guitar was was kind of like a, a thing I learned from a very early age and um, have loved it ever since. So how old were you when you started to learn to play? Or do you not even remember learning to play? Oh, I remember very well, um, apart from just banging around on it like before I could <laughs> probably pro properly speak. But um, yes, when I was nine, I, I started learning um, more sort of... Uh, my dad started giving me some lessons and um and then i would just be eager to learn anything he could teach me and start like making up songs and learning songs and things like that so and do you yeah. do you think that um your musical childhood and and music in general did it build up your faith affect your faith straighten your faith absolutely i think that um singing i mean for me i didn't i never really learned the campfire songs that some people learn all the songs that i was learning were songs that i would have been hearing in church um and singing and being in church and praying were always things that kind of went together it's augustine says um he who sings well prays twice and no oh, that's lovely actually. i um, yeah. 
long before I had ever heard that quote, I think I, I had taken that one to heart. And um, I think prayer and singing have always been things that kind of go together for me. It just seems natural to sing when one prays. That's lovely. And you never had for a moment that feeling of self-consciousness or being shy. You could just burst into song and just... <laughs> no, but I mean, I mean that quite yeah. genuinely. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think I was actually a bit precocious in this sense when I was young. I, I wanted um, I wanted to sort of show off the fact that I, the chords that I could play and the, <laughs> and the songs that I could sing and probably annoyed everyone quite a bit. Well, um, I suppose in a family that was so musical, you had to kind of, I mean, you had to have an audience and you had to try it out on somebody. Oh, that's what I thought, yes. <laughs> totally justified. <laughs> so but, tell us about your first piece of music. This yes. is quite an important first choice. I must choice. say, choosing four songs was really difficult. I, I kind of scratched my head for quite some time. But this is a song by an artist named Phil Keggy. And I heard him quite a bit growing up, and he was someone that my, my father really loved. Not only was he a, a Christian artist, but he was also a virtuoso guitarist, is a virtuoso guitarist. And um, this is from an album called Way Back Home, the title track. And um, I hope you enjoy it. Oh, I'm sure I will. Way Back became of the lads and the friends from school days gone by gone by I hope they all turn out alright I
such a fabulous song. I love the line, learn my first song. That must be so, yeah. so special for you. <laughs> it is, yeah. Um, so now you're a teenager and you started to learn to play the saxophone and obviously the beginning of a more, much more serious approach to music. Yes. Strangely, you can play the guitar your whole life and you can never learn to read a shred of music um, in that time. So I'm really glad that I took up the saxophone and the way that I, the reason why I took it up was actually quite um, funny. Like I, I just decided at one stage that I would learn anything I could get my hands on. And my brother had a saxophone that he hadn't been playing for a while. And also getting into church bands, um, which I was always eager to do, was um, not so easy with the guitar because every other person plays the guitar. <laughs> so I took up the saxophone and um, just learned a few notes. And my brother kind of set me off on on how, like how to put it in my mouth and where to place my hands and began playing. And then after a, a year or two, my mother organized me some lessons. We used to have to drive about an hour a week um, to Port Elizabeth. That's dedication. <laughs> yes. Well, they, we were always quite serious about making music a part of our lives. So my sister went for, um, she went for lessons as well, and we made a bit of an event out of it. And um, yeah, so I started uh, learning uh, how to read music, a bit more music theory and things like that. And you did classical music as well. Yeah, so the the thing is I, I couldn't find a, a jazz teacher. Saxophone naturally sort of lends to itself mm. to jazz, being a, quite a, a modern instrument. Um, so I was playing a lot of classical repertoire with a teacher who was actually a, a clarinetist. and um, And this sort of put me into straddling kind of two worlds of mm -hmm. um, listening to a lot of jazz mm -hmm. because I, I began to love it and wanting to listen to saxophonists, but then also learning a lot of classical music. Eventually, I would go on to uh, study classical composition. Oh, really? Um, when I was when I was a student in Cape Town. Um, and yeah, I, I had but I kept a love for these two uh, worlds really of both the classical music and the jazz music. And were there any performers of those two genres that particularly interest, interested or influenced you? Uh, yes. So uh, saxophonists, uh, not so much that do would do both. Um, when it came to listening to saxophonists, I'd usually just be listening to the old greats like Cannibal Adley and um, Paul Desmond. And I was very tempted to, to choose one of those as my next song. But um, Instead, I decided to choose a, a vocalist, uh, Bobby McFerrin, who's most people will know him for his song "Don't Worry, Be Happy." Oh yeah! But um, he's how much? Actually... How much? How many millions <laughs> must he have made in royalties off that? I'm one? sure, yeah. But actually, he's he's an incredible jazz musician and um, has conducted uh, uh, orchestras. He's he's got a background in classical music as well. And there's an album where he works with a jazz band called the Yellow Jackets that um, I feel like it kind of captures these uh, these two worlds that I was um, kind of drawing from at this stage in my life. And it's one of those albums that I would have listened to over and over again and probably knew every single note on it. Um, so he's not a saxophonist, but that's kind of my um, it, it, it really captures this this part of my world. And actually, my, the saxophone lessons I used to go to, my teacher was also a big fan. 
and uh, sometimes we would get no teaching done because we'd just talk about things like Bobby McFerrin all the time. And Bang Zoom is your choice. Bang Zoom is my choice. Yes. Let's let's hear it now.
that was Bang Zoom by Bobby McFerrin. It's a fabulous piece of music. Um, you have the whole studio dancing around. <laughs> um, our music choices this morning have been chosen by my guest, Tim Hutchinson, who's just joined the Radio Maria editorial team. Your music and studies took you on a very interesting journey, Tim. I gather you went to live in rural Transkei? That's right, yeah, Transkei. Transkei, a, a very underdeveloped part of South Africa. Yes, it is a, a place in South Africa where people have living been living much the same way for thousands of years. And um, so it, it feels like you're quite far away from civilization. People live in, in mud huts um, with straw roofs. And um, I was a school teacher out there and I actually didn't teach music, although I did at one stage uh, head up a small choir in the school, but I was a maths teacher. I decided to keep my music as a kind of um, thing I did for love, and my my job was teaching maths in this. That's interesting because maths is very closely connected to music in that in that part of the brain. That's true. People do say that. Yeah, mm. I, I also really loved um, you know Bach and things like that, and, mm. and I think that's quite. Uh, mathematical, that sort of music. Yeah. It's wonderful music. And so, did you live in a mud hut? I did, actually. <laughs> I lived in a mud I'm hut, so sadly, with a, uh, for a year. With a, um, I was there for three and a half years. The first year was in a little mud hut with a tin roof, which um, was quite frightening, actually, because that place was known for its thunderstorms and, um, and for people being killed by lightning strikes. So, I had a number of occasions where I was rather terrified. So uh, not lions, tigers, elephants or rhinos, but you could have just been blown away by a thunderstorm. Yeah, just an act of God. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that sounds better. <laughs> but what, so what ages were the children? 11 to 18 or younger? Uh, older than that. So probably the youngest were 13 um, and upwards, yeah. And what was that experience like? It was wonderful. Um, I, I'm not so sure that I got that much uh, knowledge and heads, unfortunately, because there was some a lot of setbacks. I was working in an environment with um, very few resources, schools that were just not functioning very well, mm-hmm. um, children who for whom English was. Uh, basically a foreign language. They speak a very beautiful language called Xhosa. Mm-hmm. Did, did you learn it? I didn't. I um, I tried, but it, it's really hard. Uh, it's got no sort of, you know, common... Uh, there's, it's completely foreign to English. It's not like learning. Right, right. Uh, so all the sounds are alien in your mouth. Yeah, yeah. So I... Um, but I was very fascinated by the music that that mm-hmm. exists in this place. And every day the schools would start with singing hymns in front of them. Um, they would line up and and sing the most beautiful hymns. And they would harmonize these hymns in four or six part harmony. That's just the way that they sing. They don't they don't think um, they sort of brought up in a culture that doesn't think melodically. They think harmonically. And so no practice, just quite spontaneously going to a six-part presentation. Yeah, they just, I mean, it's just how they would be singing at school every day in oh, their okay. homes, in their churches. And so I, I got to sort of sample, a, uh, well, just kind of be eavesdropping in on such a an amazing world of music. 
Um, but, but did that experience and that kind of breadth of music influence your folk music career and and your songs that you started to write? Was it about right, that time? Yeah. So at this time, I was I was writing songs. Um, I'd kind of after studying composition and being uh, playing the saxophone, I'd sort of returned to playing the guitar and writing songs, which was really kind of like my first love. Um, I'd like to say it did. I, I tried to to um, make an album actually at that time where I sort of put together these influences um, and tried to sort of merge some choral African music with mm. some of the songs that I was writing. Um, whether or not that was so successful, I, I'm not sure. Um, but how did you bring them? I mean, it's not, the way you say it, you know, I, I brought them together. But how did you bring them together? I mean, you would have to make a choir, train yeah. a choir, learn from the choir. They And it's, I mean, it's a quid pro quo thing. You know, yeah, you're working yeah. together. It, it, it couldn't have been that easy. And you're recording. Yeah. So I had actually took some of my students through to a studio in a, a nearby um, city called East London. And um, we, I, I got them to record a song. I, I was doing a song, it was quite, uh, quite significant actually. One of my students had passed away tragically after a, 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 an accident on his bicycle. Ugh. And um, I wrote a song to him and then I incorporated a, one of the funeral tunes that they sing, uh-huh. which is just sort of deeply... Um, How does it go? How does um, it go? I'll try and sing it. Um, wow, that's so, <laughs> so I had good. That. So that was the background music. Yeah, yeah. And then you, you put your, your music on top, yes, your song on top. I did. I was In the end, I wasn't that happy with how... I managed to to kind of pull it off, so I never um, I never released it. But um, that's still quite an achievement, you know. <laughs> and especially for the especially for the choir, who must have known the boy. Yes, I yeah. mean that's so profound to be yeah. able to start to to make that kind of clear that dedication and oh, that's true, that loss. Yeah. No, it was a it was definitely you know in just Thanksgiving for. And a remarkable life because he was a remarkable man, and we all loved him very much. Um, oh, what a tragedy! Yeah, it was. It was very sad. Um, but then, by this time, you're you you're um you you've got you're performing yourself. Yeah. Was this in Transki, or were you going to other places as well? So what I was doing was, I mean, the wonderful thing about being a school teacher is that you get these holidays, which <laughs> you really need, by the way. And um, I was, uh, what I would do is I would use those holidays in order to uh, play small house concerts and things mm. like that. And um, the folk music scene in South Africa is is fairly sort of small and people kind of follow the artists that they like. So I had a, a nice small following. Um do you want me to talk about my next song? I do, because I want, I want, I'm I very curious. I mean, I love, this is one of my favourite songs, Good. but I'm just trying to figure out how this, this leap from, yes. okay. from your folk music, your performances, your experiences with these very dear children. Mm. And then you pick up Paul Simon. I mean, that must have blown your mind, actually. So, I mean, every... It, it's just so... Most people in South Africa grew up listening to Paul Simon because it's... 
um, especially this album that mm-hmm. it, it's it's um he used a lot of south african musicians on this album and it was during a time when yeah either you had to if you were a black south african musician either you lived a, an incredibly oppressed life in south africa or you moved to europe and you lived in exile and you uh, because of apartheid and um you got treated like a king like because i mean there were some just absolutely remarkable jazz musicians and and paul simon during this time made this album uh and i think it's it's just musically it's also an amazing marriage of um the sort of americana folk singer songwriter style that that is paul simon and then maintaining as well the integrity of all these different elements that he brought in from the south african musicians that he was using and um so and i think that it's a good kind of uh you know you can see that why i would choose that given the time of uh, it, perfect yeah. timing but there was a lot of controversy about that um politically you know that he he met with a lot of criticism and yeah. a, accused of exploitation yes but it always sounded to me in my ignorance that it was it was a good marriage of music yeah. and and the uh, is the um the lady smith black, black mamba yeah. yeah yeah i mean i don't think the artists feel that way i haven't really looked into that 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 controversy but i've met some of these artists and they do, certainly don't speak that way about about that project it's a fabulous song She's crazy, she got diamonds on the soles of her shoes Well, that's one way to lose these walking blues Diamonds on the soles of her shoes She was physically forgotten But then she slipped into my pocket with my car keys She said, you've taken me for granted Because I bleed you Wearing these diamonds And I could say, ooh, ooh, ooh. As if everybody knows what I'm talking about As if everybody here would know exactly what I was talking about I'm talking about diamonds on the soles of the shoes Woo! <laughs> 
makes the sign of a teaspoon, he makes the sign of a wave. The poor boy changes clothes and he puts on aftershave to compensate for his ordinary shoes. And she said, honey, take me dancing, but they ended up by sleeping in a doorway. While the bodegas and the lights on over Broadway Wearing diamonds on the soles of their shoes And I could say, ooh And everybody here would know what I was talking about I mean, everybody here would know exactly what I was talking about I'm talking about Simon singing Diamonds on the Soles of Her Shoes. That was great. Thanks for picking that, Tim. You're welcome. <laughs> have any of Tim's music choices inspired you this morning? Do you have any personal connections with hymns or worship music? If so, please email us at music at radiomariaengland.uk. We would love to expand our music library and we do need your suggestions. So, Tim, by now you've left... South Africa, and you've moved to England, and you're in your 20s. That must have been quite a shock to the system. Yeah, it was. It was cold. (laughs) (laughs) Like now, yes. Yeah. Were you brought here by God? I mean, by that time, were you sort of on a different trajectory? Um, No, initially I had, well, I'd like to say, yes, I I was brought here by God. But, um, I mean, my... Initially, I came as a school teacher, um, had had got a job oh, right. in, in Oxford. And um, when I was a student studying composition, I'd also entered the Catholic Church. 
And um, oh, you missed that bit out. <laughs> yeah, I can't put everything in here. <laughs> um, so uh, I'd, I'd considered when I was living in the trans guy, I'd considered a vocation to monastic life, um, but then had sort of put it on, put it to one side, thinking that it, it wasn't really for me. But when I came to Oxford, I found myself sort of surrounded by all these mm-hmm. um, people in habits walking around the place. You got the Franciscans, you got the Dominicans, yeah. you got a, a few stray Benedictines, and um, not to mention the dreaming towers and the wonderful chapels. And yeah, it is a remarkable place. I still mm-hmm. absolutely love Oxford. Mm-hmm. Um, the other places, as they call it here in Cambridge, um, <laughs> yeah. or as they call Cambridge over there. <laughs> and yeah, I was suddenly opened up to a world of liturgy, which had been very much closed to me at that time. I mean, I could I could speak about my experience of Kosa liturgy in Mtata, where I used to go to mass um, in South Africa, which was also just a absolutely remarkable experience. Um, very beautiful, very long, um, but amazing. Um, so when I came to to Oxford, I had something of I really felt at home spiritually, and wanted to go a lot deeper into um, just giving myself in service of the church. And um, I ended up pursuing a vocation with the Cistercians in, in at Mount St. Bernard Abbey in Leicester. How did you how did you make that shift from teaching and you know just uh, it to, to it's a big big step. To, yeah. It, that must have been an enormous journey in your life. Yeah, I I mean I just couldn't stop thinking about it so I I figured it felt like a natural thing to do. I found teaching um, wasn't really giving me oh, yes. the, <laughs> the um, uh, yeah, I, I felt like it wasn't my vocation, you mm. know, I suppose in, in a sense, people talk about these things as vocations, but in truth there, yeah, we, a vocation is, is either one to married life or to some kind of celibate life, whereas these other activities you do within those mm. are jobs or, mm. um, and I, I felt like I wasn't living out my vocation as a teacher. It didn't quite um, sort of embody that. So I wanted to live a life that was centered around praise and coming back to what I said earlier about, you know, prayer and and music being um, mm-hmm. joined. He mm-hmm. sings well, praise twice, as St. Augustine says. But I can see, I can see, given your background and all that music and song and praising and that 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 would just be an inevitable conclusion that you would be there but you finished up in Leicester were you sent there was that your choice yeah so I I felt that that was where I was called I I um I went through the novitiate there and was a junior monk and uh sadly I decided to leave before I made solemn profession um, but I still feel like it's sort of part of a, a, a longer journey of, of my uh, walk with God and, and discovering my, my vocation. Um, so I, I left earlier this year in March. Um, and it was it was an incredible experience from just being able to have a life that's centered around mm-hmm. the Psalms, mm-hmm. because the life of a monk is 
basically praying the Psalter. We would begin at half past three in the morning and we would pray through all the Psalms in a week. So there was 150 Psalms. Um, yeah. And we'd sing them. Uh, we never said them. We just, it was always singing. There was, we were quite maximalists in that sense of, um, of not wanting to, to say anything. But this would be, you'd be singing them at half past three in the morning. Half past three in the morning till just before eight at night. So your life was just ringed with singing. Yeah, it was. It must have been beautiful. It was. And this was the beginning of, of discovering plain chant for me, which before I didn't know anything about. And, um, it's a tradition that is, um, what's wonderful about it is that it, it's so, you know, you can't really separate it from singing the Psalms. Um, it's not like the people who started singing the Psalms borrowed this music from some mm. other thing that was happening at the time. It's, it's, it's grown up in the church and if it takes its roots from anywhere else, it's, it's from, um, you know, Jewish liturgy that comes even before, uh, earlier than that. Oh, it's ancient music. It's yeah. And you can feel it when you, when you sing it and it has this relationship with time that is quite uh, freeing where the, the music is not um, metrical or, or it's it's not rhythmic in the way that you yeah, would yeah. you would have modern music you know you can't put a metronome to it you can't put a um, you can't put a beat to it because the text the word um, to use a, a more spiritually loaded term the word uh, dictates the way that the music is sung. Um, so this the the next song that, that I've chosen is from um, the monks of the Abbey of Faucombeau in France, um, and it was an album that my abbot gave me to listen to when I was trying to learn the organ. And he said, "Listen to the organ playing on this," and it just feels like you're falling into like a big feathery bed when you hear this, um, and I absolutely love it. <laughs> Yeah. 
Tim, that's such a perfect piece to end on. Thank you so much for talking to me today. Thank you. It's it, been wonderful. <laughs> it's been a real pleasure. And thank you for sharing your music and your journey of faith with us. If any of you would like to um, hear Tim Hutchinson again, um, you can hear him on Radio Mar England tonight at 11.15 and on Friday evening at 8.30. You can always catch up with Tim on Songs in the Wilderness through podcasts, available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Overcast, Anchor and many other podcast services. Thank you for joining me today for Songs in the Wilderness. Goodbye. Christian voice in your